Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. I really do appreciate the kind words. Uh, at least one of those sentences was true. <laughs> the, the, the thing he was talking about, you know, when I sing in our church normally, like, I turn this way so that the rest of my family to my right doesn't have to hear me. So all the ladies out there, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> they like that I sing loud, I think. They just don't want me to sing in their direction. So, and... Hopefully the other thing that was true is that I do love Jesus. And I know that's because he loved me first. And I am so grateful for that. And one of the reasons why I enjoy being with you all at Bethel is because there's a resonance here. Uh, so many of you that I've encountered, and I'm assuming others that I haven't really met as much, you love Jesus too. And so there's a kinship, there's a fellowship there. So I really enjoy my time among you all. Um, so uh, the scripture passage was already read this morning. And uh, my job, my responsibility is to try to make heads or tails of that. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to try to do. We'll probably spend most of our time through verses 11. We'll make a couple of comments about 12 through 17 there. But here's basically the, the title of the sermon is Abiding in Christ, uh, Lives of Glory and Joy. And the reason why I chose this is for two reasons. Number one, um, it's very much along the theme of the men's conference and so to have my headspace in one kind of like theme was helpful for me for sure and so this is we talked a lot about union with Christ abiding in Christ from Paul's uh, writings but this morning obviously this is from Jesus and so it's kind of along the same theme so I thought there was unity there and uh, one other kind of contributing factor of why I want to talk about this is uh, it is connecting a little bit if you've been in and around um, you know uh, Bethel here for a while you guys have been going through the gospel of of Mark on Sunday mornings. Actually, New City Church has been going through the Gospel of Mark as well. Uh, and Pastor Chris and I have been like breaking down the passages almost identically. I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Um, and so we're just a couple of weeks ahead of you. But basically, in your study of Mark, where you're at, you're in Jesus's last week. Okay, 11, 12, wherever you guys are about. And this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples is that same time frame. It's that last week of Jesus' life that is so obviously important to who he is and what he's doing. It's also kind of charged with emotion and passion. I mean, obviously, the last days, if you know it's going to be your last days, you know, you know, in a sense, the situation, the intensity gets ratcheted up. And, and this is a, a personal, it's kind of private at the time, but obviously now it's public. Uh, conversation that Jesus wants to have uh, with his followers regarding what the nature of their relationship is going to be like very soon. And so if you look actually back at chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to, to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again. He's telling his disciples, I'm going away. And so, you know, as 
you know, you probably all have experienced in, in one way or another a, a dear, close friend, and in this case, a, a mentor, a leader, someone that they had really put a lot of their hope and confidence in, and that person who you've got, you know, again, kind of think of it this way, this is kind of how they're processing it, although they're not really getting all of it, but they literally kind of think this guy's the Messiah, Okay. <laughs> And that leader, that kind of messianic level leader, is like, deuces, I'm out. Okay? And so their hearts are troubled. They're dealing with disappointment. They're dealing with grief. They're dealing with fear. And so part of what Jesus wants to explain to them and John 13 through 17, you know, is amazingly rich. We obviously don't have time to get into all that, but what's the nature of the relationship to the follower of Jesus after Jesus dies, rises, and ascends to the Father? So what's interesting about that is that puts us in common actually with them as well. What is it, you know, and, and the brothers kind of touched on it already, and it, this is the, the confluence of the conference in this morning. What's the nature? What does it mean to actually follow Jesus? How do you actually connect with him? And so, you know, if you're here and you're a visitor, me too, welcome. We welcome each other. And if you're here and you don't, you're just kind of like checking the Jesus thing out. You're like seeking it out. This is like very, I think, helpful for you. To say, well, what it, what's actually happening with following Jesus? And then if you've been following Jesus for a while, it's like, you know, Brother Al prayed it. Like, you can get distracted on this, you can get distracted on that. This brings you back to the, the kernel of it, the most significant and important reality. What's my connection with Jesus all about? All right, and so that's what we're going to be talking about. And the title of the sermon says that we're going to have, when, when this happens, when you experience this, uh, this reality of abiding in Christ, the thing that happens, the, the end result of that is that your life is a life of glory, meaning that you bring honor and glory to Jesus, and your life is one of joy. Now, before I even get into the passage, sometimes, you know, as a preacher, and I say that, I feel like I'm a salesman <laughs> trying to convince you of something up here. And you guys are like, you know, you guys are probably very kind, so you're not as cynical and as, you know, uh, contrarian as I am when I'm in my seat listening to someone preach. But joy, really? What even is joy? How are we going to get at it? I mean, everybody around us is looking for joy. What are we even really talking about? And what about all of the difficulty and suffering, the frustrations, the failures, the, you know, all of that that I am experiencing? And so um, when I talk about joy, I, this illustration, I'm, you know, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. I've watched all the Rings of Power, so I'm a little bit of a nerd that way, but uh, so if that connects with you at all, it's a big epic story. And in the story, there's, they're trying to take this ring to the Mount Doom. The ring kind of symbolizes power, which is viewed a little bit negatively, and they want to destroy the ring. And these two little hobbits, you know, they seem really weak and insignificant. They're on this journey, and to get to the mountain to throw the ring in, they've got to go to Mount Doom. Incredible name. Are you kidding me? That's great. <laughs> 
and they have to go through the land of Mordor, which is a land of shadows. It's covered with darkness and dreary, and it's just, you know, a horrible land, and they're hungry, and they're tired, and they're alone. There's the two of them, and they feel forsaken, and the enemy is more powerful. And so it's just a very discouraging, borderline, depressing part of the story. And so maybe you find yourself there, or maybe you've been there, or, you know, you know, not to be like Debbie Downer up here, but you might get there, okay? And Sam has this experience, this little hobbit person. He's in the land of Mordor, and there, peeping among the cloud rack above the dark tower high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart. As he looked up and out at the forsaken land, hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever which the shadow could not touch. And so what I want to talk a little bit about this morning is that, you know, to some extent I feel that we kind of live in the land of shadows and Mordor here. Difficulty, despair, confusion, frustration, disappointments, all of those things, but like the shaft here, like the, the star that is, that's kind of like uh, testifying to the fact that there is beauty out there, there is glory out there, there's something more powerful than the land of shadows, and what Jesus is saying here is its union and its connection with him. It's high and it's beautiful and it's noble, and nothing, the shadows can do nothing to touch it. And so, I want to encourage you to press into that reality. Don't let your Christianity be anything short of that. And if you're investigating Christianity, that's actually what Jesus is offering. There's a different way to live. Right, girls? (laughs) Sorry. Now I'm embarrassing you at a different church. So, four questions. Number one, what is abiding in Christ? Number two, why is it necessary? Which will be the shortest point. Number three, how do you do it? And then number four, what are the results of it? So what is abiding in Christ? Abiding in Christ here is actually, it's, it's actually, it's a metaphor and, you know, some scholars say, you know, maybe they saw some uh, vines on their journey. And this night, you know, Jesus was in the upper room, and then he went across the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives, and so they're moving around Jerusalem. Though maybe they might have saw, you know, a grapevine. You know, again, I can't prove it, I don't know, but it's, it's not crazy to think that, that it was there in that evening, and they certainly knew what it looked like. And so Jesus is actually saying, when I go away, the re- kind of relationship that we're going to have is like a vine. So, you know, an analogy, a simile, you know? And so before we actually jump into that analogy, he actually describes it a few verses earlier. Again, we have chapters, but they weren't chapters when John wrote it. It's kind of the same thought back in chapter 14. 
And he says in verse number 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Yes, I'm going away, but you're not going to be orphaned. I'm going to come to you. Well, how are you going to come to you? Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I'm in my Father and you in me and I in you. So there it is. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but there's going to be a sense in which you're going to be in me and I'm going to be in you. Well, how is that the case? Well, again, right before that, he talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. This is chapter 14, verse 15. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because they don't see him or know him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so that's the real, simple, clear answer to the question. How is Jesus abiding with his followers? He gives them the same spirit that he shares. The kind of essence of who Jesus is, is his spirit, and he shares that spirit with everyone who believes in him. And so to believe in Jesus and to receive his spirit is to experience the very presence of Jesus in your life. You, you know, what we said at the men's retreat is this, the, the core of who you are, I think it was Brother Brian was talking about that, the, the non-material, non-physical part of who you are, your heart, your mind, all of that, however you want to say that, is fused together with the same spirit that dwells with Jesus. It's an unbreakable bond. And so Jesus is, in a sense, visibly and physically ascending to the Father's right hand, but he is totally going to be present with them through the gift of his Spirit. And so again, if, if you're kind of like new and exploring, it's like, oh, that sounds a little bit, that sounds a little mystical, that sounds a little different, like hard to understand. It's like, yeah. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you might be thinking, man, that sounds a little mystical, that sounds a little hard to understand. It's like, yeah, you're, you're both in the same boat. It's deep, profound, mysterious, and wonderful. But that is really the essence of the Christian life, to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you. I mean, what could be more, the word fundamental was used. What could be more fundamental than at the very core of who you are, you are joined with the very spirit of Jesus? Nothing could be more fundamental than that. That is Christianity. And so then it's like, it's not less about like, you know, keeping the rules or maybe even going to church or like believing a certain set of doctrines. It's like, no, it's deeper and more powerful and more wonderful than that. It's like this new life, this spiritual transformation that occurs to you. That's what abiding in Christ is. It's to have his spirit. To get back to the metaphor now, Jesus is the vine and, and we're the branches. And so the idea there is that the, the sap, the, the essence of what's running through the veins of the branches is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' very life pulsating through you as the branch. That is what Christianity is, I could say, offering. That's what Jesus is saying. And so, you know, you can you start to ask your, yourself the question, is that like how I'm processing what it means to follow Jesus? Is that like on the periphery or is that like central? Like you wake up in the morning and we're gonna talk about this in the how-to, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, and you, you say to yourself, Christ is in me and I am in Christ. 
man, that's a different way to live. So that's getting at the question, what is abiding in Christ? It's this spiritual union that you enjoy with Jesus. Now, the second question is, if, you know, if that's what abiding is, why is it necessary? And so you see in verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, or no, excuse me, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's a strong statement, right? <laughs> you can do nothing? What, there's got to be a context. I mean, obviously they could literally do something, and honestly, even apart from Jesus, you know, you think about this idea of bearing fruit. It can be this, you know, moral character or, you know, helping other people follow Jesus. It seems like I can do some of that stuff without Jesus. So let me just give you the context of what Jesus is saying here is why abiding in Christ is necessary for you. And it has to do with the fact when Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, you have to bear with me for just a couple minutes here on this explanation. And then we'll get to the how-to. But this is crucial for understanding the context of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying with this true vine analogy is nothing short of a, it's kind of like an, almost an off-the-cuff statement that he's going to change the whole world. <laughs> okay. we, we said this on the men's retreat. Sometimes Christians just say crazy things. I'm aware that I'm up here saying, you know, Jesus is going to change the whole world. But that's what he's actually saying. And you say, well, what do you mean? How do you know that? Okay, well, the vine analogy here is picked up from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, talks about this idea of a vine a lot, and it refers to the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was specifically blessed by God so that they might then bless the entire world. That was what Israel's privilege and responsibility was. Started with Abraham, the founder of, of, of the Hebrews, where God says, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And this idea of a fruitful vine, and you know, the vine, the fruit of the vine, you know, drinking, and, and a festival, and a party, and all of that stuff, that's kind of the idea. Like, I'm going to bless you as this vine, and you're going to bring blessing and festivals to the world, is the idea, okay? It's a general idea of what this analogy of the vine is. And so when Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, he's not thinking, you know, just this kind of local small idea. It's a big cosmic idea. Jesus is saying, this is the, I'm going to be the one, the true vine, that's really going to bring blessing to the world because, unfortunately, the nation of Israel never fulfilled that calling. Through corruption, rebellion, idolatry, they always failed. And in fact, when you read the vine analogies in the Old Testament, you often find God disappointed and frustrated with Israel because they've become an unfruitful vineyard. So in Isaiah 27, here's just a, a quick kind of like, again, I don't want to call it a proof text, but you know, kind of demonstrate this. Isaiah 27, if you have an ESV Bible, the title even there says this is called the redemption of Israel, which is looking forward to this idea of a, a new heavens and a new earth and, and God fulfilling all of his promises. In Isaiah 27 and verse 6, he says, in the days to come, Jacob, or Israel, will take root and Israel will blossom and put forth shoots or branches that fill the whole world with fruit, okay? I don't think it can be any plainer, any clearer. 
Israel is going to be a vine, a plant that is going to bear fruit across the whole world. And then they never do it. And then Jesus comes and tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to describe my relationship with you guys uh, here before I die and rise again and go away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But just so you know, I'm actually the true vine. I'm the one that's going to fill the whole world with fruit. And so now when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, that's the context. You, you don't have the ability to fill the whole world with fruit. You don't have the ability, and the kind of tra- transformation that Jesus is talking about with this new world filled with righteousness and holiness and peace and unity and love, that kind of perfect world is what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus is saying to his followers, I'm going to begin this new creation work with you guys, and you guys don't have the power. You don't have the wisdom to to make this new world happen. But if you're connected to me, you're going to get a foretaste. You're going to get a front row seat at this new world that I'm creating. And all God's people said, all right. Sorry, that was pandering, but that's really important, and that's great. If you're a Christian, the new world's already begun in you. The Spirit's already there, and new fruit. You know, why does Paul talk about the fruit of the Spirit? He's, it's not just like some random analogy. Paul believes that the new world has dawned with the resurrection of the Messiah, and now we're getting a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. There we go. Come on now. And again, if you're new and you're trying to figure out Christianity, that's what the expectation should be. And if you're a a more mature Christian, you you should feel the responsibility that people are looking to me and they should be seeing new life in Christ. Not just some do's and don'ts. The power of the risen Christ pulsating through his spirit in my life, producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control in your life they should be able to come near to your life and taste the goodness of God because of the fruit and again that's not something you can manufacture that's why Jesus says apart from me you can do nothing because Jesus has the big story in mind so what is abiding it's nothing less than the very life of Jesus' spirit connected to the very core of who you are And it's important and necessary for you to be connected to him, to abide in him, to remain in him, because what Jesus is doing is, in a sense, cosmic renewal, and he's doing it one branch at a time. Now, another reason why it's necessary for you to abide in the vine is there is a warning here. If you don't abide in the vine, the father, well, the father cuts the vine both ways. As a believer, he would come and prune you that could be trials in your life so that you'll actually bear more new creation fruit. Or if you're not actually abiding in the vine, you just kind of look like you're connected, but you're a dead branch, then there's obviously a threat and a warning of judgment there. And that needs to be heeded. He's specifically talking about people who would identify and profess, but they don't actually walk that out. And what's the context here? Again, this is the upper room. This is the context of Judas. Judas walked and talked with Jesus for three years. I think this is, this is like specifically targeted at Judas. 
And then later, 60 years later, when John writes 1 John, he says, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have no doubt, he says, abided with us. He uses the same word. They would have remained with us. I don't think those disciples ever got over the fact they could, they still to the day they died, could not believe that Judas did what he did. But he did. And so there's a warning there to not follow in the footsteps of Judas who betrayed Jesus, even though on the outside he looked like he was with Jesus. So number one, what is it? Number two, why is it necessary? It's necessary to avoid judgment for sure, but it's necessary to participate in new creation world that Jesus is already bringing in and will one day finish. Now thirdly, how do you do it? And so if you've got friends or family members that went to the men's retreat, we spent a lot more time talking about this than we will this morning, so you can talk with them maybe, follow up, but how do you abide in Jesus? And so first of all, it's good to remember he's already committed to you, all right? So he's already, in a sense, in on the deal, in on the transaction, you could say. But he says that if you're going to abide in him, then you need to abide in his words. Look at 15.7. If you abide in me, and he doesn't say, and I abide in you, which he said previously. Now he changes the, the equation, so to speak, and he says, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. And so in order to abide in Jesus, you have to hear his words and believe them. Super simple. In fact, there's kind of a, a process in which that takes place. There's the, kind of the initial time frame when you hear the message about Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross, not for his sins, but for your sins, and that he rose again three days later, and that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. That's what we Christians call the gospel, the good news. And you hear that, and you believe that, and Jesus says to you then in verse three, you're already clean. That brings you into the status of being in Christ, that initial faith. So again, we, sorry to keep referencing the retreat, but I want to keep things similar, you know. So many people think of being a Christian as my sins were forgiven. I believe the gospel and my sins were forgiven. Yes, that's true. But something way deeper than that happened to you. You were joined I heard the good news about Jesus, and now I get to go to heaven when I die. Also true. But the only reason you go to heaven is because you're united with Christ, and guess where Jesus is? <laughs> heaven. And so union is how you need to be processing what's going on, and so it brings you into a status. It's very much, um, this idea of abiding in Christ is very much like a marriage. You know, if a couple were standing here, okay, and they say their vows to one another, and I commit myself to you, you commit yourself to me, and they're gonna have this marriage union, okay? That brings them into <laughs> what I would call the realm of matrimony, and that's a wild place, baby, <laughs> okay? To actually live that out then, to abide in each other, it's different, you enter the status, yes, but then do you commune with each other? Do you actually get to know one another? Do you share with one another? Do you act married? <laughs> Do you abide in one another? And so there's a status of it, but then there's also a practice of it. And so hear it initially and believe into Jesus, absolutely you enter the status of union with Christ. 
It's like being transplanted into a new soil, a new garden. You're in him. And now the responsibility and the privilege of growing and cultivating that union is what Jesus is talking about here. And the way that you do that is by abiding in his words. And so what does Jesus say about you? What does Jesus say to you? And then we talked this weekend about the importance of this practice of renewing our hearts and minds, of, of meditating on the word of God and, and rehearsing it and preaching it to ourselves. So let me offer you uh, an analogy that we used this weekend. Jesus says, well, he says lots of things to you. He says that he loves you. So it probably wouldn't be a bad idea for you to get up in the morning and remind yourself that Jesus loves you. Say that to yourself. Preach you the gospel. There you go. There you go. Jesus loves you. You could say that to people in your house. Jesus loves you. You could remind them. You could say promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. You could say that I will remember your sins no more. You could say, I go to prepare a place for you. You could start saying all of these things to yourself. And as you begin to process that, it's like, oh, okay, that's going to change your day. That's going to change your outlook. I forget which preacher said it, but you know, the problem with our lives is not, that, you know, is not that we talk to ourselves, but that we listen to ourselves too much. And our fears speak to us more loudly than the voice of Jesus. And so the, the Christian practice of abiding him is abiding in his words. And, and the analogy I just mentioned that we use is in Romans 6, where you present yourself before Jesus every morning. He's the king over your life. He's the king of grace over your life. And you go and as it were, you kneel before Jesus and you say, I present my life to you, Jesus. What are you speaking over me today? And do you believe it? And so abiding in Christ is a process of cultivating, hearing the voice of Jesus, his promises over and over and over about you. They use the analogy, uh, this morning, we talked about this onion analogy where you peel back the layers, you peel back the layers. At the core of who you are, you are a child of God in Christ. Because Jesus is a son, you're a son. Jesus is a child, a son, you're a son or a daughter. Do you actually believe that? Do you enjoy that privilege? That's, you know, you're not your deepest failure, you're not your greatest success. Most fundamentally, you are a loved child of God. And that will never change. The kind of confidence and humility that that brings to a human being's life is unique in all the world. You are incredibly confident because God is your father. I mean, like, what? And yet you are equally as humbled because you know it was all by grace. No other, there's, I'm telling you, search the world over. There's no philosophy, there's no religion, there's nothing that can compare to that. The combination of humility and confidence is unique to being in Christ. You know, apart from him I can do nothing. Humility. In Christ Jesus I can do all things. And so, what do you do? How do you cultivate this reality? Um, it is through simply 
believing into the words of Jesus. And then along with that, sometimes you've got to pray them home. It's like, Lord, I do kind of believe that I'm your child, but I still get a lot more um, pleasure and satisfaction out of this particular identity. And so, Lord, help me. And so you, you pray, and he talks about prayer here. Ask what you will, and it will be done for you. So how do you abide? Number one, you believe what Jesus actually says about you. And I just, I'm convinced in my own life, and as I've been a pastor now for over 20 years in various contexts, that we as followers of Jesus just have a hard time believing what we say we believe. I'll give you another example. Jesus says you have an inheritance. We talked about this at the men's retreat. You know, <laughs> anyone have any like financial str- struggles? You know, nobody at this church, man. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be a pastor at this church. See how that goes. <laughs> That's why Chris Lenoke. <laughs> You know, like, if you actually believe you have an inheritance, what's that going to do to your peace of mind regarding your financial situation? Come on now. Do we believe what we believe? And if you actually believe, it's not just like a general inheritance. Romans 8 says, because you're united with Christ, you're a co-heir with him. Do you know how he describes your inheritance? The world. (laughs) That's what he says. You get the new world. (laughs) yeah man in Christ believe it preach it to yourself one of the beauties and benefits of of coming to church and gathering on a Sunday or meeting with your men's groups or your ladies groups or your um, I don't know what you call your small groups gospel groups community groups whatever you know these churches call them is you get the opportunity to remind one another of those things and to come and to sing about it you know, you come to a Sunday morning, you're like, oh yeah, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. There you go. Uh, my, my sister was killed in a car accident in 2004. One of the very first church services I attended after that, we sang that song. That is indelibly marked in my heart now. My union with Christ springs to life when I hear that because I know that she's in Christ, I'm in Christ, she's alive, there's no fear in death. Are you kidding me? This is who you are. If you're in Christ, Bethel, this is who you are. Believe what Jesus actually says about you. Receive it, receive it, rehearse it, memorize it, sing it, pray it, all of it, until it goes deep into your hearts and you start to realize, oh yes, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And so we are. Till the heart sings. And even like Sam in Mordor, when there's the confusion, the doubt, and the fear, and the frustrations, and the disappointments in this life, you're reminded of the star up there through all of the clouds and the darkness. Yo, there is something bigger and better happening to me through Jesus. There's a different way to live. There's a different reality that is currently functioning right now in this world. And it's the reality of the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm in. The second way that you abide, not just by believing his words, but by obeying his commands. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So, 
there, you know, there's the whole idea of like faith and renewing the mind. It's like, yeah, that makes sense and that we're really comfortable with that. But now Jesus says, hey, and to stay with me as well, hey, do what I say, okay? But it's Jesus telling you what to do. The one who's died for you, the one who raised, the one who has the power to bring new creation. It just makes sense to follow the commands of Jesus and in so doing, in following him and and obeying him, you will find his presence and your heart will be filled with joy. There, you know, there's an old hymn that says there's joy in serving Jesus. It's true. Well, what's the commandment? The greatest commandment he gives you, this is my commandment. It's, you know, it's not this like ridiculous command. He says, love each other. <laughs> I mean, is that so crazy? <laughs> You're gonna follow Jesus and be united with him. His life is very much in your life. Well, what's Jesus all about? He's all about loving And so it makes sense if you're united with him that Jesus will then say, okay, I want you to become like me, be united with me. And if if you're gonna, in a sense, you're gonna roll with me, Jesus is like, if you're gonna roll with me, you gotta love like I love. And then again, isn't that pretty much, if how amazing would the world be if everybody in the world loved Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved each other as Jesus has loved us? That would pretty much be the perfect world. And so what Jesus is saying here is nothing less than abide in me as I bring about this new world, believe what I say about you, believe that I actually love you, and then express that by loving the people around you. And in doing that, you will abide in me. You will know me, you will experience me. So a lot more could be said, but that's the answer to the third question. How do you do it? You believe what he says, and you obey his command to love. Now lastly, what are the results? Number one, in verse eight, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The result is that the authenticity of your profession to follow Jesus is verified. That's number one. Number two, the Father is glorified, hence the title of the sermon, Lives of Glory. This type of life where you are in Christ and Christ is in you brings honor and glory to God through Jesus Christ which is like the whole point of being a Christian is to honor him and not ourselves. So your, your profession is authenticated. You bring honor and glory to the name of God, which is what we're supposed to be about anyway. And then thirdly, and I think kind of most interesting, this is kind of what caught me the most in this passage in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so again, this is, I don't want to sound like a salesman here, but I, you know, maybe it's unavoidable. Do you want joy? <laughs> and of course the answer to that is yes. Jesus is saying this is how it actually happens. And, and the way that he says it, I believe, for me, is interesting. He doesn't just say, I, I've told you all these things so that you'll have joy. That would be one thing. But actually what he says, I've told you these things that my joy will be in you. So it's, to me it's fascinating to think of Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the, the Savior of the world, the one who sacrificed himself for me, the one who rose from the dead, the, the one who's the bringer and the bearer of new creation. That being, truly God and truly man, is happy. <laughs> He's filled with joy. And I get connected to him through faith 
And then the result, you know, it's the results of abiding in Christ. I get his joy. <laughs> so, again, I want to encourage you, if this feels new or, you know, not quite sure, that phrase, there's another way to live, I just, I want that to be there for you. I want it to, like that, that Sam illustration with Mordor and the stars, so great. There's something else going on in the world. There really is a pathway to being fully joyful. It exists. It's out there. And there's all kinds of people that will tell you the same thing. There's a way to the good life. There's a way to be happy. There's a way to be joyful. And then they're going to say, do this or do that or do this or do that. And Jesus says, there is a reality of full joy and it's me. <laughs> I am the one who brings the new creation, the new world, a world of love and righteousness, peace and joy. And if you're connected to me and my words abide in you, then you're going to be full of joy. And again, that is not trying to minimize any of the difficulty, suffering, trials, abuse, and frustrations that you've encountered in your life. A few, this is probably a, maybe a few minutes later, maybe a couple of hours later, Jesus says in the John chapter 16, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So the, the idea that you're connected to Jesus and that you're going to get joy and peace, yes, but he, he says he's realistic. You're going to have tribulation in this current world, but take heart. I think the King James says, be of good cheer, which I like that better. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The shadow is just passing. I commend to you this morning the reality that Jesus said, this is what it's gonna be like until I make the world new with my disciples, my followers. I'm gonna put my very spirit in you, gonna fuse that together. I'm yours and you're mine. And you're gonna cultivate that by believing my words over and over and over, again and again and again, individually and corporately, reminding yourself of who you are in Christ and what he said about you and walking in lives of love. And when that happens, your faith is authenticated. The Father is glorified. And you will experience joy, even in Mordor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these promises. Thank you for revealing this to us. We would never come to these conclusions on our own. We thank you that you love us. I pray that you'd give us strength to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.